From Want to Hunt podcast, where we give you the information you need to go from want to hunt. Thank you for tuning in to episode four of the From Want to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, David Mefford. This episode is titled The Art of the Hunt. Before I get too far into this episode, I wanted to let you know about a great episode of another podcast that goes hand-in-hand with my last episode, which was titled Where to Hunt. It is episode 96 of the Meat Eater podcast, and it is titled Permissions. If you don't know about the Meat Eater podcast, it is hosted by Stephen Ornella of the Meat Eater TV show. The Permissions episode is a discussion of getting permission to hunt on private land, and is a discussion between Meat Eater regulars Steve and Giannis, as well as Mark Kenyon from Wired to Hunt, who hosts a podcast by that same name, which is a great podcast about whitetail deer hunting. If you want some great information on how to talk to landowners about getting permission to hunt, as well as some do's and don'ts once you have permissions, go give that episode a listen. I know many of you are itching for me to get to talking about getting out there and harvesting animals, or you really just want to know about what weapon is best. But all of that will come in time. I'm aiming to build a foundation of knowledge to get you out in the field and make sure you know everything you need to to have a successful hunt. Today I'll be discussing scouting, getting to your chosen hunting location, as well as the importance of practicing with and knowing your weapons. In the last episode, we talked about how to find land to hunt, And once you have found that land, you need to scout it before you go out to hunt. What do I mean by scouting? In its most basic form, scouting is going out and looking for signs of the animals you're after, possibly even finding the animals themselves. While physically at your hunting location, you should be looking for things like droppings, trails of the animals are traveling on. Uh, Droppings may or may not be the easiest thing to find, but if you find droppings, you can look nearby for the travel routes. Why are we looking for trails, though? It's easier to shoot a target that's not moving, right? Well, most every animal is going to be traveling between some basic locations day to day. Uh, The animal is going to start its day where it went to sleep the day before. This could be as simple as a bedding area at the edge of a field, could be a nest in a tree, or a den in the ground. While scouting, setting up before the season, and while out hunting, you want to try your best not to disturb where the animal is going to sleep. If the bedding area is disturbed too much, the animal will likely abandon it and may move on to a different property entirely. You may bump the animals out of a bedding area the first time you scout it, but if you do, and it's absolutely obvious it's where the animal's bedding, make note of the location and do your best to avoid it in the future. Once you know where the animal wakes up and starts its day, you should look for trails that lead to two very important things, food and water. Most animals, especially bigger ones, are going to need to find water to drink. This can be a creek, a pond or lake, or if you live in a very wet area, maybe just some standing water in the middle of a field. After you know the travel route to the water, you should find food sources on the way to or maybe just past that water if possible. When researching the animals that you're going to be going out and hunting, you'll likely come across what to look for as a food source. Uh, Once you locate the bedding, food, and water of the animals on a property, you can start planning your hunting locations. Personally, I would say the best place to set up would be along a well-worn travel route or over a food source. While scouting these types of locations, you can look at some different places you could set up for different wind conditions. Although you'll see many scent masking or covering products on the market, the absolute best way is to just play the wind to your advantage. You can buy things made to show which way the wind is blowing and how it carries as well. If you're on a budget, a free option is to find a milkweed pod. 
let the seeds dry out, and have those in a Ziploc baggie when you're out scouting or on location. Release a few and see how they travel and how the wind carries. It could be spiraling or doing different other things besides just traveling in a straight line. If you don't know what milkweed is, it's a vine that grows about a fist-sized or a little smaller seed pods. When the pod is ready, it'll crack open and these almost cottony puffballs come out and they float off. Each one's carrying a seed. Um, another thing, if you use any apps to show you the weather, you may be able to get the wind direction from the apps as well. Ideally, you want the wind to blow in your face at your hunting location, so any scent that is carried by the wind goes behind you and hopefully into an area the animals aren't going to be able to smell you. If an animal smells you, also called winding you, they're less likely to come close and may take off in a hurry. If there's a well-worn travel route, let's say between two ridges, one on the east, one on the west, uh, you should pick a location on each ridge that would be a great hunting location so you could hunt that spot in either an east or a west wind. Something else to keep in mind when scouting is where other people may be hunting from. If this is private land you're scouting, be mindful of the property line. Other hunters on neighboring properties may be setting up right on the property line and may be shooting in your direction. While shooting onto someone else's property, it's not the best practice. It does happen. If you're going to be setting up on a property line, be mindful of other property owners and hunters and set up with your back to the property line and only fire into the property you have permission to hunt on. If this is public land you're hunting, you can pretty much bet the 25 yards or less from any well-worn human travel path will be packed with hunters. The rule with public land is usually the more energy it takes you to get there, the fewer hunters there will be. So the further you travel in on a well-worn path even, there will be fewer hunters for every, let's just say, mile you hike in. If there's ankle-deep water that you need, let's say, knee-high boots to cross, that's going to deter a lot of hunters. Uh, but water that needs chest waders because it's waist-deep or water that you have to cross with a boat is very likely not to have any hunters across it. Just remember that you need to get all of your gear across this water as well as get back with the gear and any animals you harvest while on your hunt. If you don't have the time or means to get yourself out to the more secluded areas and end up hunting in a crowded area, be mindful of where the other hunters are. This is not only so you don't enter them or ruin their hunt, but because they may not be mindful of you and you need to watch out for your own safety as well. If the property you're hunting is a long drive from where you live or you just can't make the time to get out there very often, you can do some digital scouting. Trail cameras are a great way to digitally scout an area if you can afford them. Holiday sales and after-season sales are a great way to get a trail camera for cheap. In my personal experience, the used market for trail cameras is not great. When I see used cameras for sale, they're normally around the same price as new or sometimes even more than a new camera of the same model, and I don't know why that is. There's a large range of prices on new cameras, ranging from about $25 up to several hundred dollars. At its most basic, a trail camera takes a picture when something moves in front of it. Uh, while looking at the cameras and their features, there are two features I would suggest to get, though. Those features are night shot mode and time stamping. The night shots will let you see animals that may only be traveling at night, and the time stamp lets you know exactly when the picture was taken to help you plan for when you need to get in the field and be hunting. So let's say shooting light is 7.30 a.m. and the animals are moving through and going to that food area starting at 7, you know you need to be out there well in advance of that. If you have the money... You can get cameras that offer more things, like current temperature, moon phase, and humidity. Uh, within a similar price range as on cameras, you might be looking at feature differences like picture quality, 
measured in megapixels, shutter speed, and the possibility of a video mode. A faster shutter speed could mean less blurry pictures, while the option of video could show you how the animals are acting while in front of your camera, as well as a better idea of which way they're entering and exiting the area. Some cameras even have the option to have a cellular connection to either send you the picture as it takes them, or for you to open an app and download the pictures from anywhere you have an internet connection. These do have a monthly fee associated with them, so that's something else to keep in mind. Now, when you do set up any camera you have, if you get one, I would set it up over a food source or along a travel route, and don't walk out to check them too often, as your presence could change the patterns of the wildlife. I would say at the most often, check weekly, and spread that out more once hunting season gets closer. If cameras are not in your budget, you could still do some digital scouting, and it's free as long as you have a computer and an internet connection. Going online and viewing satellite imagery of an area is a great way to scout, and a great tool for that is Google Earth. You may be able to see trails, especially if they're well-worn. You'll also be able to easily locate water sources and identify likely locations of food and bedding. Now, I'm not affiliated with them in any way, but I do want to mention that Hunt Stand can be a great tool for digital scouting as well. Uh, Using their website, which is similar to Google Earth, um, and pairing it with their smartphone app, you can combine your in-person and digital scouting very easily. At the time of me recording this, HuntStand is free to use with some paid options. I use the free version, and I use the phone app while out in the field to mark where I've put cameras and where I find food and bedding. From the website side of things, I use the map drawing tools to mark fences, gates, and as well to mark places that look interesting for me to check out the next time I'm there in person. If you'll be hunting with other people, you can create a hunt area and share all of the scouting information with anyone else that'll be hunting there. That way, all of the knowledge is shared and cuts down on the work that any single person has to do. Hunt Stand also allows you to see wind direction, sunrise and sunset times, along with many other things that may help you on your hunt. There are many other apps for this, both paid and free, but this is the one I started using and I'm most familiar with. Uh, Most apps probably offer similar features, so find one that you like and works for you. Once you've identified where the animals will be and where you're going to get set up, you can start to choose how you're going to set up. Now, if you're hunting elk out west, you likely aren't going to set up in one location. You're going to be walking up and down hills and ridges trying to find an animal, then try to stalk in close enough or call the animals in close enough to make your shot. If you're hunting deer, especially anywhere east of the Mississippi River, you're likely going to be setting up in one location and waiting. If you're going to be waiting for the animal, also known as ambush hunting, your budget will likely dictate what your setup will be. The cheapest option is to pick a big tree, walk to it, and sit down with your back to it. If you're on private land, you could get permission to set up a blind using brush and fallen trees, and that would also be free, just the cost of your time. For around $20, you can buy burlap or mesh netting with camo pattern and set up an inexpensive and very mobile blind around you, which is great if you're setting up in a field or next to a tree in the woods. For a little more money, you can buy a pop-up blind. This is a blind, usually made out of nylon material similar to a tent like you'd camp in, but unlike a tent, the support system stays attached to the nylon, so that all you have to do is unfold it and set it up when you're out in the field. Uh, some states require that you attach orange to the outside of your blind, so be sure to check if this is the case where you'll be hunting. Uh, next up on the price scale is a semi-permanent blind. This usually requires assembly ahead of time but are usually more sturdy than a pop-up blind. This would come in handy on a windy day as you don't have to worry about your blind blowing away and leaving you uncovered. These blinds usually come in larger sizes as well as a variety of designs. I personally have been in a family member's semi-permanent blind that was designed to look like a round bale of hay. The hay bale design supposedly makes the animals less likely to notice something that's out of place. With a blind that doesn't look like something that naturally occurs or is not a normal agricultural fixture, you'll want to 
use brush to break up the sharp corners of the outline of the blind. Freshly sawed or broken off branches on the roof and against the sides that you won't be shooting out of will go a long way to put the animals at ease. Also, if you're on private land, try and set up your blind several days or weeks before your hunt to give the animals time to acclimate to something new in their environment to increase your chances of success. An option that can be cheaper than a semi-permanent blind, but more expensive than a pop-up blind, is a tree stand. Before I get into tree stands, I want to talk about tree stand safety. A large number of hunting-related injuries each year are from people falling out of tree stands. If you use a tree stand, I can't stress enough how important it is to use a safety harness. I believe most new tree stands you'd buy at a store will come with at least one harness, but if you buy a used tree stand and don't get a harness, or maybe even if you do and you don't know how old it is or how well it's treated, buy a new harness before you go up in a tree with the stand. I've personally been saved by my harness just this season. I lost my balance by holding onto my bow at full draw, waiting for a deer to give me a shot. I fell forward and was thankfully caught by my harness. Although the noise scared the deer off, I wasn't injured, and I did not fall out of my stand or the tree. The worst that happened was the arrow fell out of my bow into the ground. I just grabbed another one out of my quiver and went on with my day. With tree stands, there are three major different types. There are hang-on stands, ladder stands, and climber stands, also sometimes called climbing stands. With a hang-on stand, you can buy climbing sticks, which are like a ladder you strap to a tree. Use screw-in climbing pegs that you can screw into the tree. Or, if you can easily and safely climb up the tree, you can just climb the branches and strap the stand onto the tree. With and without climbing sticks, hang-ons can be fairly easy to pack in and out on each hunt, but on private land, they're usually left up for the duration of the season. Hang-on stands are normally the cheapest option for tree stands as well. The next level up in price are ladder stands. A ladder stand is a platform and a seat positioned at the top of a ladder. With a ladder stand, the entire stand, once assembled, is one piece from the seat all the way to the ground, and because of this, some people feel that they are the safest kind of stand. Ladder stands come in different heights, and you're stuck using that height, unlike a hang-on that could be hung at any height. If you want to use a tree stand and have someone to go hunting with you, either to mentor them or as your mentor, a ladder stand is a great choice as there are many two-man options for ladder stands, and those don't exist for climber or hang-on stands. Even if you're hunting alone, the extra space if you get a two-man ladder stand can make your hunts a lot more comfortable, a place to set down your bag or other things. Another downside to the ladder stand, though, is that it's not a stand that's easily packed in and out. It's normally set up and left in that location for the duration of the season. The most expensive, but also the most versatile option for tree stands are climbing stands or climber stands. These stands usually come in two major pieces, the standing platform and the seat. With the climber, you walk up to a sturdy tree and hook a cable around it that locks on to each side of both parts of the stand. Um, it's kind of hard to describe over a podcast, but you make a caterpillar-like motion up the tree with the stand. You get as high as you like, as long as a fork in the tree or branches don't get in your way. Many people carry a small saw with them when using a climbing stand to cut off small branches as they climb up. While using a climbing stand, never unhook your stand after you've left the ground to get around a limb, or to follow one side of a fork of a tree. Only unhook your cables when you're attaching to or detaching from the tree while both of your feet are on the ground. A climber is a great choice for hunting public land, as you can get in a tree and hunt and pack it back out with the least amount of time. Once you have your location and setup methods chosen, be sure to practice using the equipment before you go out in the field. With pop-up blinds, make sure you can unfold it and fold it back up. 
you don't want to have to carry it out of the field unfolded because you don't know how and you left the directions at home or back in your truck. With tree stands that won't be left in the field for the whole season, practice getting it in and out of the tree. The better you are at putting it up, the quicker and quieter you can get ready. Also, if you can practice with your weapon from the tree stand, drawing a bow with a winter coat and a safety harness is a lot different than practicing on flat level ground, so it's great to try to practice from your tree stand. Practice how you'll get in and out of your hunting location. The most direct route may not be the best route to your location. You may have to walk around a bedding area, playing the wind in your favor, or go around the long way to not leave your scent on the trail the animals will be on. You need to be in the hunting mindset as soon as you set your foot on your hunting property. If it's legal shooting light and you come upon a deer as you're walking to your stand, you need to be ready to make the shot. The animals could be anywhere, and you need to be as careful getting to your hunting location as you are while at the hunting location. Okay, so hopefully the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come together now. You've either found land to hunt, or you have some ideas on how to find it, and now you know how to find where to hunt on that land, as well as some ideas on how to get set up. Once you've got your hunting areas set up and you know how you'll be set up, keep a mental note of the distances you think you can safely shoot while you're in the field. A path you'll be shooting down towards the animal is called a shooting lane. Knowing how far you can safely shoot in a shooting lane can help you decide what weapon or weapons you want to buy for hunting. I know I keep saying it, but a more in-depth episode on weapons is coming, but I do want to mention weapon practice today. If you're going to be hunting with archery equipment and your furthest shot in your shooting lane is 30 yards, you want to be able to use that whole shooting lane. You should be practicing not only at 30 yards, but work your way up to 60 yards. In archery, if you can regularly hit shots at twice the distance you plan on hunting, you'll be more successful on your hunts. Archery is all about consistency, and a small error could have you a quarter inch off at 30 yards, but at 60 yards, that could translate to several inches off. If you fix this error, make your 60-yard margin of error, let's say a half an inch, your 30-yard groups will be very tight and very close together, and it'll raise your success chance on a hunt. In that same vein, but related to shooting a gun, you need to be practicing at at least the distance you'll be shooting in your shooting lane. If you sight in your rifle at 100 yards and only practice at 100 yards, you may miss, or worse, wound an animal. If your shooting lane, let's say, goes to 250 yards and you attempt to take a 250-yard shot. Also, don't practice shooting only off a table or tripod. Practice in shooting conditions you'll be using in the field. Shoot standing. Use your backpack as a rest. Lay prone on the ground, depending on how you think you'll take your shot during an actual hunt. No matter what weapon you use, different projectiles may act differently, even out of the same weapon. If a certain brand of arrow or ammunition is not consistent in your weapon, even though you're sure you're doing everything right, try another brand. Whatever you do, once you find something that works and keeps you consistent and accurate, practice with this setup and hunt with this setup. Don't mess with what works. You can always try to improve things later on, but the day of the hunt is not the time or the place for that. If you're itching to get out to hunt and your season is several weeks or months out, do a dress rehearsal, but without your weapon, so that way you don't have to explain to anyone, especially a game warden, that you aren't hunting, just getting prepared for season. Putting on all your hunting clothes, grabbing whatever gear you'll be taking out, of course minus the weapon, head to your hunting location, get set up for a hunt around the time of day you think you'd be out there hunting, and wait for the animals to come out. Take some pictures. Observe how the animals behave. See what works with your chosen location and what doesn't once the animals arrive. Just being in the field is valuable experience, and what you'll learn while doing your practice run is only going to make you more successful when the time actually comes to hunt. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope this information was helpful for you. 
If there are any questions, please email me at fromwanttohunt at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I can be found under the name From Want to Hunt, all one word on all three sites. If you feel like this is helping you out, please be sure to tell others interested in starting hunting about the podcast as well. Please tune in to our next episode, where we'll be discussing what many of you have been waiting for, weapons. <laughs>